Hey everybody, this is Scott, back for another week with KC Greats. I'm here with a friend of mine right now, Josh Kranz, to talk about something a little bit different this week. Something that uh, used to be a little underground for me, but I've learned a little more about it. So, Josh, how you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm glad you're here. Tell us about KC Techno. All right. So Kansas City Techno is a group of friends, I guess for lack of a better term, that came together under a similar passion for a similar style of music. Okay. Um, we're all very involved and have been since the 90s in DJing, you know, dance music, house and techno. And it's not, not what you might think when you hear techno music. The stuff that's on the radio these days couldn't really be any further away from what we do. Um, our whole group of DJs is, if not 40, we're approaching 40 years old. So, <laughs> Okay, so that's funny because I think probably the probably the, the stereotype that people form in their heads when they hear the word techno is probably a bunch of kids at a rave, you know, what in the 90s with pacifiers and crap like that, right? Well, there's one key thing to what you said there, and that's in the 90s. Uh, exactly. You know, <laughs> that may have been us. Back in the 90s. I'm not going to fully admit to it. Um, so, you know, we were all kind of indoctrinated into this. Uh, I'm going to say this with finger quotes scene. Um, back in the 90s, you know, Kansas City did have kind of a thriving rave scene and was actually known as one of the centers of house music in the United States just due to our proximity to Chicago, where house music is really kind of from. Um, so we, we all got involved in, you know, partying, going to raves and clubs and learned how to DJ in, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, not because it was cool or because we wanted to be famous or popular, but it was just because something about the music we were listening to really resonated with us. And we wanted to be able to, you know, to, to kind of tell our own story with that. So that's kind of how everything started. Um, Kansas city techno wasn't actually coined until 2008. And many of us had been playing for 10 years prior to that, but um, we just decided that we needed to kind of join forces because in the period of time between 2000 and 2008, a lot of what we were just talking about, the raves and the parties and whatnot, all kind of went away. Um, there was a, a law that was passed in Kansas City, Missouri, and they kind of called it a dance house law. And basically... <laughs> Uh, what they were trying to do was stamp out, you know, a, a drug epidemic that never really was an epidemic in Kansas City, right? Okay. And so they associated people that listen to house and techno music and go dance all night with people that take drugs all night and thought that by trying to eliminate this kind of music, it would have a positive effect on eliminating the drug culture. I guess what they didn't realize is that just about every music culture has a scene like that. Um, you know, you can go to the mall and find people on drugs. That's really not anything that we were interested in or a part of. I guess it's just, you know, the fleas come with the dog sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I've been around playing in a country band, and you're going to find that maybe even more in, in some instances. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's just, it sounds like something that... Uh, they really just kind of worked on a stereotype. You're, you're right. I think what it was was, you know, the, the types of things that the ravers were synonymous with doing, with doing were 
kind of exotic and not not real common or popular in the Midwest. People didn't understand it. And, you know, what they didn't understand they thought was dangerous. And <laughs> you'd see in the headlines that some little kid, you know, overdosed on Lord knows what in some obscure part of the country. And it must have been because of this techno music. So there was a big push on the Missouri side to really push these these raves out. So with this dance house law that they made, they required some special permits to be able to play uh, what they called dance music after midnight. Sounds like prohibition. It, <laughs> I mean, come yeah, on, man. You know, it's kind of similar. And and what's funny is, you know how many of these permits were issued? Uh, I'm guessing none. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I'm not even sure that permit existed. Um, and, and it just, it sort of, um, it was annoying to us because we had a passion for this music. And, you know, we saw the effect it had on other people. Um, and I'm not just talking about people that were, you know, misbehaving and doing things they weren't supposed to be doing, but just anybody that enjoys dancing. That's a and, release. Yeah, it's a release. It's it's a way to lose yourself, to kind of forget about all your troubles of the week and just kind of sweat it out on the dance floor, you know? DJs are nothing new. Um, you go into the inner city and DJs are playing hip-hop music and things like that. Um, you've got DJs that are, you know, I mean, let's just take the radio, for example. Mm -hmm. Those are DJs too, right? So there's a, a DJ is really just someone that selects songs and plays them as they see fit. And, you know, we thought there should be a place for what we love to do as well. And uh, once the rave scene got kind of all but stamped out from, uh, from these new laws, um, we ended up going into clubs. And that's where we found that we could legitimately play our music. Uh, people could ingest a culturally acceptable drug, alcohol, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, in a safe space. <laughs> and so we, we sort of took our scene that direction, which it gave us a little bit more legitimacy. Um, because in the early days, uh, these events that we were doing were, were very underground. Um, you weren't, you know, this was all kind of pre the internet being real popular. So to find out about one of these events... You either knew someone or you were handed a flyer. And the way that we would get people to these events is there would be something that was called a map point. So you would get a flyer that would only have a geographic location on it. And this was not the location of the event. This, <laughs> this was the location of somebody sitting in their car in an obscure parking lot, maybe in the West Bottoms or in you know Midtown, something like that. And he would have several pieces of paper that had the actual address of the event on it. So you would have to go to what was called a map point and buy your ticket. And then you'd be handed a little slip of paper with the address of the event and off you went. And so that was a way to kind of make sure that we knew who was attending. Okay. That controlled access isn't always a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't a bad thing, but it, it was very limiting to, you know, because we just didn't have a very broad scope of promotion. We had kind of the same group of a couple hundred people that would show up at these events and they would bring their friends and that was always encouraged and welcome. Um, but for us, it was kind of about, you know, the under the word underground is maybe it's a little bit cliche. Mm -hmm. I, I would prefer to use the, the word exclusive. Okay. Um, we wanted to have some control over who was coming to the events because, you know, we're responsible adults as well. And we didn't want, you know, someone who wanted to actually sell drugs. We didn't want those kind of people there. You know, yeah. we wanted people that were coming there because they loved the music, not because they were going to go, you know, hook up with a guy or a gal. It wasn't that scene at all. Or not because, you know, they wanted to come and just get so wasted. They were throwing up on the curb. You know, we didn't see it's, it's funny because it, th this is all counter to what I think most people would think of this, you know, and, and, and I know you pretty well. You're, 
dude, you're a corporate guy with with a with a day job. Right. You know, you're not uh, you're not hustling on the street corner in the day and then doing this at <laughs> night. And I'm guessing that's the way most of, most of your counterparts are too. You're right. Yeah. So our crew right now of nine DJs consists of um, we've got the uh, the the cre- or let, what's his title here? He's the director of creative creative development at one of the <laughs> largest uh, graphic design firms in town. Um, one of our DJs is an attorney. Um, I work in the real estate industry as well. Um, another one of our DJs is an executive for a large health insurance firm <laughs> in Kansas City. Uh, you know, we're we're not the the typical dreadlock wherein you know work at a record store by day and DJ by night. Now we're all very successful professionals. Um, we've got our act together, so to speak, and and this is something that we just don't want to go away. And the younger generation that's getting now exposed to we're going to call it electronic music um, is it, it's getting popular in the United States. So when it comes to electronic music, the United States is ten. A minimum of 10 years behind where places like Europe and Asia are. Um, if you're to travel over to Europe, it's very common to find house and techno music playing in the hotel lobby or on the radio. Or, huh. you know, it's just very common when you go out uh, to a club in Europe, you're going to hear dance music there. And that's just, it's very socially acceptable and it's normal. Um, in the United States, what's happened is, you know, the, the, the house and techno movement seemed to kind of fizzle off in the mid-2000s, towards the later 2000s, it all but went away, and was replaced with this young group of millennial kids who are very interested in this type of music that's referred to as dubstep or bass music. Okay. Um, it is a, a slowed down version of maybe the drum and bass from the 90s, but it's really not about a musical journey. It's about um, immediate gratification. So what I mean by that is they these kids will often refer to the drop. So they'll be real excited about a song that's playing, and then it'll pause for a moment, and then there'll be this big explosion of bass sounds, and that's what everybody likes. And and they refer to it as the drop, and it happens okay. on every single song. Whereas, you know, the the music that we're interested in is far more subtle and nuanced than that. And you would often have to engage in a two or three hour long mix in order to really kind of feel a journey where a DJ is going. So, you know, when we're playing in a club atmosphere, we're very mindful of the time and the, I guess you could call it the vibe. So you're not going to hear us playing a really loud banging music at nine or 10 o'clock at night, right? That's typically the the early part of our set where we're going to play portion. Yeah. Yeah. The warm up set, I guess you could say. So we're going to be playing a little bit slower of a tempo. Um, there's going to be a lot of tension and very little immediate gratification. So right when you think there's a large build and it's about to just go nuts, we'll strip it back down to almost nothing again. And so take up to that edge, right? Bring you back. Leave you wanting more. Exactly. So that the skillful, the the artists, you know, the the DJs that maybe we might bring in to play from another city, state, or even another country can really kind of showcase what they do. And that's that's not always just dropping the the hottest club banger after the hottest club banger. You know, if you come out to one of our nights, you're not going to recognize a single song. You're (laughs) you're not going to hear very many vocals or anything like that. What's a lot of essentially original work either that you've basically practiced and, and curated for for that set mm-hmm. or it's something that comes up immediately right right I mean, that you're creating as you do well so several of us are producers that'll create our own music to play in these sets um, others of us are more of uh, collectors or even 
you know, I'm not sure what connoisseur maybe of music. You mm -hmm. know, we've been digging through the, the, the back stock of record stores virtually in Europe uh, for years. And so a lot of us, we take a lot of pride in our music collections that we've been working on in some cases for 20 plus years. And so we feel it's a treat for someone who goes out to be able to hear a song that may have been popular in Europe 15 years ago or something like that. And uh, to be able to hear it in a setting in Kansas City. And, and, you know, I may have used the wrong word there with song because we don't play a song and then play another song and then play another song. A lot of it blends together right and, and over the top of each other in mm -hmm. concert right yeah what we're looking for is specific components of different songs that we want to layer over components of other songs to kind of create something new on the fly that maybe you couldn't even recreate if you tried because it's kind of about the the immediacy of the moment right and so you know we're not going to sit down and pick out the 20 songs that we're going to play tonight we're going to show up with a catalog of, you know, for the for the guys and gals that play vinyl, they're going to show up with 200 records. They don't know which ones they're going to play. It kind of depends on how the night moves along. Simply looking at what the crowd reacts to, mm -hmm. what the vibe in the house is like, things like that. Right, right. Okay. And then some of us that play digitally now with all the advances in DJ technology, you know, let me preface by saying everybody on our crew learned how to do this by playing vinyl records. Okay, <laughs> We didn't have laptop computers that were mixing things together for us or anything like that. Now, with the progression of the technology in the DJ realm, it has become easier for DJs to use the digital stuff uh, simply because I don't know if you've ever carried around two crates with 200 records in them. <laughs> um, but when you need to go up three flights of stairs and then most importantly, when you need to break down at three o'clock in the morning and carry everything back out to your car, it's, it's nice to unplug a thumb drive as yeah. opposed to, you know, carrying all these records around. Well, so. and on the, the advance of things, I'm just not knowing and I'm guessing that one of the big things that you have to do as you're putting these sets together is you're matching beats per minute, you're matching, you know, different levels for different frequencies. Right. And you can probably do that a little easier electronically than just by hand. Well, I'll give you a specific example. I mean, you're right. The kind of the, at the core of a DJ's mix is called beat matching, where you've got to match the tempo of two individual tracks so that when you play them both at the same time and you start to blend them together it it really sounds like you're just building off of the previous track as opposed to going from one song to the next right so you're adding elements of the next track and you're slowly building into it now with vinyl djs one thing that was really hard to do was to mix what's called harmonically so, you know, anybody that understands music knows that, you know, music is in different keys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your your vinyl records don't say what key it is. So you've <laughs> got to, you know, really know by listening to your records thousands of times which ones work together. And with some of the advancements in DJ technology now, you know, they have taken away the, the need to learn how to beat match by ear. You can push a button now and, you know, line up your tracks to beat match each other. Um, that's a button that we all take a lot of pride in not pushing. Um, we still do it, you know, by ourselves. But then, you know, sure. the, it'll also show you what key your track is in. And so that you can actually mix harmonically and not, you know, mix a, a track that's in, say, A minor with a track that's in D major. They're, they're not going to work very well together. So will it also, um, I suspect then there's also tools that will modulate keys if you, if you wanted to mix a couple tracks that normally wouldn't. 
Right. And, and the challenge with that is any time that you raise or lower the pitch of a track, you kind of change the key that you're hearing. It's right. not the key the track's recorded in. Uh, but if I'm playing, you know, one song at uh, 124 beats a minute, and the next one that I want to play was recorded at 128 beats a minute, well, on the turntable, I've got to slow the pitch down to 124 so it matches the first track. Right. And when I do that, it changes the key that the track exactly. plays in. So that's another neat advancement with DJ technology now, is you can actually lock in the key of a track, even if you're speeding up or slowing down the tempo of it, and it'll keep it in the same key. Which is funny, because that's... What, what so many people hear in the last 10 years is the, the birth of the auto-tune for vocals, mm -hmm. which is just appalling <laughs> at the time. Right. Uh, you know, I think what a lot of folks don't understand is, is all those variances of keys and everything. Yeah, just like we used to you know, turn a record player up from 33 to 45 to make everything sound like the chipmunks. Right. Um, now you can turn it up to 45, but you can keep the pitch. You right. can hold that pitch, which is actually a pretty phenomenal advance. It is. And, you know, it's gone so much further than that now with digital DJing. It used to be, you know, if you wanted to be a DJ, you had to go out and you had to go buy two techniques turntables at a cost of 500 bucks a piece. Um, if you wanted to get an even halfway decent mixer, you were forking out $1,000. And now, you know, all you need is a laptop and some free software that you can download. And everyone's a DJ now. And, and you know, the crew and, and myself included, we feel good and bad about that because it's exciting to see a new young group of people getting into electronic music mm -hmm. and learning how to DJ. Um, what we don't like about it is the actual art form of DJing seems to be going away. Okay. Um, you know, the ability to take to, you know, anal an analog media, a vinyl song right a vinyl record and to be able to play two vinyl records at the same time and have it sound like you're playing one um and with no technology you literally have to cue it you have to listen to the, the one you're going to mix in in your headphones and then when your brain tells you that those have matched tempo then you can start bringing it in and the the brain piece of it has been removed now with the technology because you can look at your computer screen and see that they're both at 124 and off you go well and that's not an uncommon tech challenge when things advance, right? I mean, you think of some of the complaints you get from an old school photographer, for mm -hmm. example, who not only did you have to worry about the equipment you use, the lighting conditions, you know, everything setup wise, and then into the back end, how it's developed right. as well. Whereas now, you know, with a, a great digital SLR and a little training, I'm not saying you can shoot as great as an Ansel Adams, but mm -hmm. You can do some pretty amazing work with that in post processing. Right. So it's well the it's the an interesting battle. The the technology advancements have made it easier, but what's really made this a lot easier and kind of stolen a lot of the real identity that DJs have. And you, you know, as a as a DJ, your identity is is really the music that you have in your catalog that you play. So pre-internet and pre-Napster you know, and pre-SoulSeek and pre-iTunes and pre-all of these things, YouTube, you had to actually find the record, you know? And it was, it was really hard to know what you wanted before you found it because you couldn't just go listen to records online and say, you know, that's one that I want. These aren't songs that are played on the radio or, you know, available, you know, through traditional channels, libraries, and things like that. And you certainly weren't going to hear anybody else in town playing it. 
So in order to find songs that you really wanted to play as a DJ, you had to go to a record store and dig. <laughs> and that might have meant, you know, that there hasn't really been a plethora of record stores in Kansas City. So you were booking a flight to New York or to Los Angeles to go dig through records and to find songs that other people didn't have. So, you know, each record that you had was like a piece of you. Right. And so with the Internet and then, you know, starting with Napster and all these file sharing services online, you know, anybody can go download a thousand songs overnight and have anything. Right. Yeah. Or they could hear us play a song that we spent seventy five dollars on the record and getting it <laughs> shipped here from Oslo, Norway, you know, and, um, you know, waited six months to get it. And then when it arrived, it was bent because customs searched the box. And, you know, we play that track and, and somebody hears it and they go into iTunes and they click. Before and, they walk out of the club. Yeah, right? they've already got it. You know, with they can Shazam it on their phone now. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's really kind of difficult to be able to serve up uh, a musical experience that cannot be duplicated anymore now because of the Internet. So we've had to take it to the next level beyond that which is, you know, how can we do this in a way that someone who started yesterday can't do it? And what we found is we've started mixing, we call it a hybrid set. So we'll have a DJ that'll be playing on two or perhaps maybe three turntables at one time, and then we'll have a second person who has analog equipment hooked up, whether it be like a Roland 909, an 808, a 303, a keyboard, drum machines, effect machines. And so now we call it a live hybrid because we're going to be playing records on one side and then somebody else is going to be in, impromptu adding whatever other kinds of bleeps and clicks and farts they want to add to it, you know, <laughs> on the fly. So it's really not something you can recreate. Okay. Um, also, we find the advantage to playing these hybrid sets is when you start filling up the songs you're playing with other sounds, Shazam doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so it can't identify the track, which is fun well, for us. You know, the goal there, too, is it's not that track. You know, it's not mm -hmm. just a track. Right. It's, like you said, it's a, an individual experience for that moment. Yeah, the right? primary difference between a club DJ and a radio DJ is a radio DJ has a list of songs they need to play, right? Um, in our case, we have a catalog of music that we want to try to create something new with. So by blending two or even three or even more things together at the same time, you're creating something new on the fly. And I guess one way to look at it is as a DJ, our records and our digital files, I guess, aren't just our songs. Those are our instruments. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that, that you mixed some of the, the live performance stuff with that. That's really cool. That's something that's unique. I think a lot of folks probably don't realize about this style of stuff. Right. So. Well, and it would be hard to even know that was happening. Um, yeah, well, unless you're watching it happen live, right? Because if you just listen to something like this on your iPod or in your headphones or in your car, you're not getting the context of it. And that's what this whole experience with house and techno music is about, is context. You know, listening to the music and enjoying it is one thing, but hearing it in a live setting with a hundred or more other people that are like-minded that are there for the same reason you're there and having the music playing on a 20,000 or a hundred thousand watt sound system, you know, that's the context that we're actually talking about. And to be able to look around and see smiling faces around you. And when the DJ works up to a peak, everyone in the room has their arms in the air and they're screaming. And when the DJ works down to a lull, you see people kind of catching their breath and working back into it. And that's the ebb and flow really that we're looking for. Now, it's funny. 
as you use that term, um, just recently, I just finished a really interesting book. Um, and it actually, it talked a little bit about that sort of environment. It's called um, Stealing Fire. Mm-hmm. And it's about a lot of, a lot of how the new elite out of Silicon Valley and stuff like that get into flow states. Mm-hmm. And they talk a lot about festivals like Burning Man and stuff like that. Right. And how, you know, we they learned a lot about flow states from things like techno and house music, mm-hmm. where you've really got a group that's brought into the same mindset, mm-hmm. you know. And it was... It was really interesting. The things you're describing, you know, you've got a group all going the same direction. Kind right. of, the, you're the Pied Piper. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and kind of what you're talking about there, this goes back millennia. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, people, if, if people had a gripe about the kind of music we play, they say it's repetitive and it's boring, you know, because they're they're used to immediate gratification, like what you get with pop music and hip hop and things like that. You need a hook, something to grab you. Yeah. But what we're more interested in is if you look all the way back into ancient times and Indian tribes gathering around a fire and playing drums, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a repetition to the sounds they were playing. And over time, subconsciously, these these repetitive sounds can can elevate your consciousness, right? And so whether they're fanning the fire, you know, and then they're, they're playing drums in a rhythmic setting... You know, it doesn't have a hook. It doesn't do all these different things. But it over time, it becomes a, this piece that can change your mood. And and that's kind of what, what really birthed the, the house and techno movement is they realized that with repetitive sounds over time, with subtle changes to them, you can influence people's psyches to where they kind of forget about where they are and what's going on. And, you know, a good DJ set could be an eight hour long uh, journey and uh, as an attendee or as someone that's there that time might go by in 15 minutes and that's one of the things that that you know this and some other stuff I've, I've researched lately and talked about is when you're in that flow state um, it's it's almost a time dilation mm-hmm. you know you don't realize that you just sat there for an hour working on something right you know when when you're coding or just writing that paper and you're really hitting your stride. And I think we all experience that at some, at some time. You really trance out on something. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the scary part is we all see it nowadays where, you know, it used to be in your car reading a cassette label to right. try to figure out what song is next. Then yeah. you look up and you don't realize you just drove two miles. Uh-huh. It's kind of scary. <laughs> but, you know, we all do, do things like that. So, you have the opportunity to take groups of people for a long period of time. Right. And it's becoming understood that it's almost a mindfulness exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got so much good research going on about those things nowadays that we're learning more. It's not an altered state of consciousness talking about uh, back to Timothy Leary days. Right. It's, it's a heightened awareness mm-hmm. that does elevate a mood. And it's, it's not... It's not drugs. No, right. I, re- I really like the way that you put that. You know, the mind's a very powerful thing, and to be able to influence your subconscious like that um, through repetition is, is almost uh, hypnotic. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And sure. so, you know, good DJs can even be referred to, and, and this is going too far. I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be referred to this, but as almost shaman-like. 
um, because, you know, people will flock to come see this DJ. People will fly from all over the world, by the way, to see one DJ for one night. It happens constantly. Um, And, you know, they are there. They are locked in with this DJ. They're not there to socialize and to network and to hit on girls or to, to, you know, get face down. Nothing like that at all. It's literally front and center. Can't wait to hear what this DJ is going to do. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a good DJ can take a three, four, five plus hour set and um, make time just fly by to where you can't believe it's already over. Um, it's not uncommon for DJs in Europe to play sets upwards of 24 hours long. Um, there's a, a festival that's actually taking place right now in Romania that's called the Sunwaves Festival. It's an annual event of some of what I like to refer to as top shelf DJs. You know, mm-hmm. These are the DJs DJs that are playing <laughs> at this event. And, and last year, all right, let me back up. Two years ago, a popular DJ from Italy named Marco Carolla broke a record for playing a 24-hour live set at this festival. So last year, the following year, a pair of DJs named Teeny and Bill Patrick decided they were going to break his record, and they actually went 26 and a half hours <laughs> without stopping. Um, it, it's on YouTube if you search for, you know, Sunwaves Festival in Romania and watch the videos there. And this isn't, you know, a few sparsely people hanging out. No, they had a crowd of about 3,500 people in front of them for 26 hours. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, uh, I would imagine in Europe, maybe they have some a little more tolerance to certain things, yeah. <laughs> substance-wise, and I'm not sure I can stay sure. up 26 straight hours without at least having a Red Bull, but um, I'm not sure that I aspire to do that anyways. <laughs> <laughs> that could take a toll. Yeah. So, yeah. what kind of things do you guys do as a group to really kind of, you know, keep, keep your scene or, or mm-hmm. your environment uh, at the forefront here in Kansas City? Because... You know, like it or not, people still consider us sometimes as a bit of a flyover state, and right. things get missed. So how do you yeah. how do you bring a little bit of the different culture to town? Well, so there's there's nine of us in our group uh, that would actually be considered Kansas City techno DJs, and then mm-hmm. there's another done of a dozen of us that are you know right kind of flying around, they're playing events with us and hanging out. Um, we all have kind of a uniquely different take on the kind of music we play, even though it could all kind of be categorized as either house or techno, but everybody's a little different. Um, so we've kind of divided and conquered here a little bit because when we got pushed out of doing warehouses in the West Bottoms and, you know, outside festival parties and fields and things like that, we got pushed into clubs. So we've we've sort of um, set up these monthly events that different parts of our crew do at different clubs around town um, where we can kind of showcase the nuances between these sounds with with some consistency and our, our Kansas City Techno crew's been together for eight years now, formally, um, but we've we've held down, we call them residencies at local clubs around the city. And so we've held residencies at uh, the Riot Room, uh, the Union, which is no longer there, um, Gusto, Green Lady Lounge, Belanca's, Nietzsche on Broadway, uh, The Point, um, and then quite a few other places that we've tried out because we find that if we can get into a bar environment, well, it's a bonus if they already have, you know, speakers and everything in there. So we don't have to carry all that gear back and forth. Uh, but that being said, it's not unusual for us to back up to a bar with a semi-truck trailer and spend two hours hauling speakers to set up and two hours at three in the morning to break down. But so we do these different, uh, residencies. Um, some of the ones that are going right now, there's one that's called static, uh, we just had an event, a static event, uh, Saturday night at Niche on Broadway. It's a very, very small bar, only has a capacity for about 100 people upstairs. 
but it also has a 30,000 watt custom built sound system that when turned up all the way can make it hard to breathe with the amount of bass <laughs> that's in there. Um, so it's a real tight, intimate vibe. And we had uh, one of the more popular Chicago house music DJs flew down to play that event for us. His name is Andrew Emil. Um, we also do, so that's the static residency. We have a residency called White House Black Techno, which I head up. And we actually have our four-year anniversary of White House Black Techno coming up May 12th. Um, I'll be DJing at that along with uh, one of our DJs called Z-Sonic from Jeff City. He's coming in. And then we do a vinyl-only night, um, which is kind of a fun resurgence of vinyl where there's no laptop computers, there's no USB sticks. It's just a couple of turntables, if not more. Um, the Let's see, we had uh, Andrew Bowie out here from Portland, Oregon last month to do vinyl with Jonah Broatman, another member of our crew. So um, really, we just, you know, it's divide and conquer. We set up these different residencies at different bars to kind of showcase different sounds. And, and really what we want to do is we want to get the young people interested in it. And we've got to take them away from kind of the immediate gratification of the music they're currently interested in, which we really kind of consider the pop music of electronic music. It's Mm -hmm. Kind of easy to get into because it has a hook and it has a drop and it may have vocals from popular pop music artists and things that help you recognize it, which is an interesting thing. You know, when you go out to a club and people are dancing, you know, a lot of times the girls will come up to the DJ and say, you know, do you got any Beyonce or do you got any this or any that? No, they want they want to hear something they know. And sure. you can't fault people for that because when you go to a concert, let's say you're going to an ACDC concert. You want to hear this. You want to hear a song you know, right? <laughs> and that's not something you're going to find when you come out to one of our events. It's always going to be something new and something fresh, and it's going to kind of kind of open you up a little bit. So um, we do have a, a larger scale event coming up. It's the eight-year anniversary of Kansas City Techno. It's on June 17th. And historically, what we've done with this event is we have um, found a warehouse space that's actually outside in the West Bottom. So for the last couple of years, we've done it down there, and it's been a mix of all forms of art. So we had a graffiti artist come out two years ago, and uh, and these aren't the graffiti artists that are you know doing train cars. I mean, these are people that are doing graffiti in Children's Mercy Hospital and yeah, things I like that. I came down and saw one of those days that you guys were running that, and you had the I don't know, it was almost a 200-foot wall mm -hmm. of graffiti art. You know, it was really amazing. It was, yep. you know, the colors popped, and it was there was message to it. Right. It was really cool. You know what's great about that, too, is to, in the graffiti culture, it's kind of a diss, I guess, if you find some graffiti and then you go paint over it, right? This was two years ago now that we had this wall done, and no one has painted over it at all. So there's a lot of respect for what happened there because this wasn't just people, you know, squirting their gang signs on the wall. Yeah. I mean, these were professionals that did this for us. And, um, you know, their, their scene in the graffiti scene, they had so much respect for what they did that they've been hands off, which is great. And then we've had henna artists. We've had, um, you know, just freelance artists there. We've had photographers. We've had uh hoopers you know people that like to dance with hula hoops uh people that like to dance with fire it's called poi you know it's really a, a, a convolution of all these different subcultures of people that aren't well known what they do isn't really well understood but it all folds so well into our wheelhouse that it's amazing to have all these people together so 
This year we're going to do something a little bit different for our anniversary party simply because, you know, having a large all-day event in July outside in the West Bottoms, <laughs> you know, you can just imagine what my socks looked like at the end of the night when I'd we were done not. tearing I down. So. <laughs> I think I think over the course of two days, my uh, pedometer had me at like 96,000 steps or something like that. And this old man can't do that anymore. So this year we're, um, we haven't announced the location yet, but we're going to do an outdoor patio party at a bar that people are probably familiar with in Kansas City. And then at night, we're going to move to Nietzsche on Broadway uh, for our headliner. And we're flying in one of the world's most popular techno artists to headline awesome. that event. So last year, we took a ton of pride in booking an unbookable DJ. Uh, his name was DBS1. He's from Berlin. He originally grew up in Minneapolis and then moved out to Berlin. And this guy will play eight or ten gigs a week all over the world. He might be in Singapore one night and then Tokyo and then Moscow and then Berlin and so on. And we got lucky enough to nail him down to come play for us in Kansas City last year. And it was kind of a bucket list item for me to bring him here. That's so, very cool. Yeah. Well, awesome. dude. Well, this has been really enlightening. I, I mean, I know we've talked a little bit about it before. I've seen a little bit of, of your work during the daytime because I'm old and tired. <laughs> but um, there's so much depth to it. And mm -hmm. it's really cool. I think a lot of people, and this doesn't just happen with, you know, techno stereotypes, but it happens with all across things all across the board you know diversity stereotypes music art different things mm -hmm. people that when you don't understand something that isn't your love or passion tend to just give it short shrift and say well it's such it's it's very shallow right because you only see the surface right but i love to hear more about the depth of it mm -hmm. you know not only why you guys like it but you know how you interact with um, your audience and how the events run, and what the, the scene looks like. Right. And I wish we had more of that in Kansas City. It's just looking for the depth that is in something that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And that's what I remember seeing when I came to your events, is there's a lot of, as you said, subcultures of people that are all here, and it was a really inclusive, really diverse environment, and that's really cool. Well, what you'll find at our events is, you know, we get a, a wide array of people that attend. But one thing we have going for us that you may not find at a rock concert or a rap show or something like that is everybody at our events is being nice to each other. <laughs> They're being very inclusive to groups of people who often find themselves oppressed because there is no judgment whatsoever in these events. You know, um, the type of music we play knows no race or no affiliation. It knows no religion. It knows no sexual preference. It appeals to anybody and everybody. So we get this very eclectic mix of people that come out and, you know, you get to know these folks and find out that, you know, maybe they're from an oppressed group of people, but what you find is you, you actually find them more interesting than just the ordinary people that you might see doing what you do on a daily basis. And it's very culturally enriching. Right. And you make friends with people that you might not otherwise be friends with. And it just helps to really kind of expand your own consciousness in terms of being tolerant of others and understanding of why people are the way they are. Very cool, man. I like it a lot. But so as I wrap up, I think you've probably heard before. I always want to know kind of what you love in Kansas City, what your hidden gems are. Man. Mm -hmm. What where would you send us if. If you could pick out some spots that are your favorite in town, I would send you absolutely to Nietzsche on Broadway. Okay. Um, it's so it's the Uptown Arts Bar. It's at thirty six eleven Broadway. Okay. Um, the Uptown Arts Bar downstairs is they often have poetry and spoken word. 
and different art forms. Upstairs is where we've kind of custom built a club for house and techno music called Niche. And, um, you know, we're there, or one of us is there probably every Friday and Saturday night with some sort of event. And that doesn't exclude Thursdays. We have events there, too. Um, Niche on Broadway would be a great spot. Um, Josie Records in uh, Midtown is, you know, one of the last bastions of vinyl <laughs> in Kansas City. We don't City. have that many anymore, do we? No, it's very difficult. You know, we used to have good record stores here, uh, but those folks have all kind of realized that, you know, um, you also have to make money. <laughs> and that just doesn't happen when you sell records, although it's coming back now with the new generation. So, um, and then, you know, to, to find out more about what we're doing and to learn more about our DJs and listen to our mixes, um, we have a website that we've been maintaining for, well, eight years now. It's KansasCityTechno.com. Sweet. I would encourage you to go there and, you know, review the artist profiles. And under each artist profile, you'll see free links to download and listen to our mixes. Um, nothing's for sale there. Um, we just want to give it away because... Frankly, in most cases, we're playing other people's music anyways, so I'm not sure we're even allowed to, <laughs> to charge for that. So, uh, yeah, check out KansasCityTechno.com. Like us on Facebook. Uh, we have a huge following on Facebook, and that's where you can find our upcoming events. I think what some some folks will discover if they check it out is these aren't these aren't events you have to be scared to go to. Not at all. Um, many of our events have no cover charge at all. Uh, for instance, our four-year anniversary of Lighthouse Black Techno at Nietzsche. Uh, no cover charge for that. So you can pop in, pop out, check it out, see if you like it. Um, we would really like more people that don't know anything about this to come and check it out. Not so much just to listen to the music, but to just experience the whole context of everything. And to see this group of people come together that would n never otherwise come together for one common thing. And watch them all share a feeling that's really being kind of dictated by the DJ that's playing. Very cool, man. Well, thanks again for, for talking about it. I appreciate all the insight, and hopefully we can get some uh, some more newbies out to your shows. I appreciate you having me, Scott. All right. Thanks. Have a great day, man. Yeah, you too. So, you know what I love about that? I love hearing about a group of folks who discovered something when they are younger, and... Now they're just like the rest of us in their 30s and their 40s, <laughs> you know, lawyers, accountants, et cetera, other professionals, whatever. And they're sticking to it. And they're not worried about people's stereotypes. They've got something that they enjoy. They've got meaning behind it. And they're just doing it. So take a look at some things that you wouldn't expect. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's something else. But get out there. Explore it a little bit. Maybe even take yourself back to something that you used to enjoy and maybe you, uh, maybe you gave it up. Who knows what that is. But anyway, hope you enjoyed this week. I always enjoy hearing about something, something like this. So if you did like it, as always, please like it, share it, stuff like that. Always helps more people find it. Have a great day. See you next time.